actually do. Yeah, because hip IR is so important and it's so lacking in so many athletes. It's crazy. It's like, because I always say too, like I I, I use that hip IR as a a demo because like you said, so many athletes, every person who's ever been on my table, one side can turn in, the other side, you know, can't. And all we're doing is just giving the nervous system input to feel safe again. And as soon as the nervous system feels a little bit safe, it's like the saying, like it'll grant you strength, it'll grant you mobility. And that's all we're doing. We're just giving a little bit of input specific to the individual. Internally, they feel a little more safe. Okay, now they're gonna have a little more freedom of range of motion. Like I, I can't remember the last time I had someone with hip IR. What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And this episode is for sure not gonna be boring for you. We have Sean Sherman. Sean, you're the creator of Signal Six Sect uh Signal Six and I'm already bastardized. Square 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 one, signal six. There we go. I was already bastardizing it. it, So you know what? I'm not going to keep talking about you anymore. Go (laughs) ahead and introduce yourself and let's get into this, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, coach, for having me on your uh, podcast. And uh, you you nailed it. I'm Sean Sherman. I developed this, uh, you know, invertedly at first, but I developed a system called square one, which is, uh, there's about 100 ways to explain it. But I guess as briefly as possible, it's a motor control restoration system. And then we have some other little products like uh, Signal 6, which is inspired by that. And it's just a, a tool or tools to help coaches get more out of their athletes, more of their clients. What's the genesis story of it? Like, how did it all start? Uh, like I said, off yeah. air, I had done the course. I did the Signal 6 course because working in the team setting. Um, mm-hmm. But I do believe that there's, you know, value in the square one, like the, the sniper and this shotgun. So, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. all of it, but for, you know, our listeners out there that are like, all right, what is this? Sure. You know, kind of, kind of dive in. Okay. Yeah. So the, the Genesis story, uh, I guess you could say it started about 20 years ago. Uh, I was sure. doing, yeah. So it was, uh, I was using a system called muscle activation techniques, which I believe is still around. Uh, that was out in Denver where I learned that I was getting good results with that. And, um, I ended up working with the Chicago Cubs. I was on staff with those guys for about six, seven years. So I was the first guy using muscle activation techniques in that setting or in Mm -hmm. that major league baseball. And I had this one client that, um, you know, people were getting good results with square or uh, with MAT, probably two out of three people were getting phenomenal results. One third, it was kind of a little bit, the session, it never ended. It was like, kind of, Hey, come back in come back in come back in. Then that bugged me a little bit. uh, Because I really want to try to get people fast, you know, getting great results as quick as possible. I had this one client that every time I'd use MAT on him, he would actually, he would get worse. Like he would have uh, these symptoms like his, yes, is it like his legs would get numb and like, okay, this, <laughs> this sucks. And so after two sessions, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kick him off my schedule. Like, dude, let me help you find a PT or a Cairo or somebody who's not me. And, uh, and the more I was like imploring him to find somebody else, he was like, no, I'm sticking with you. Cause you're not a liar. I'm like, yeah, I'm not lying to you. I just don't know what to do with you, man. So I really was totally baffled by his body. And, uh, so he kept coming in and I'm running MAT on him because I was getting these good results on other people, just not on him. And, uh, he would present with, uh, it's like the typical crappy posture, like shoulders are forward, all hunched over. And he's probably about 45, 50 at the time, uh, sales guy. So not really an athletic guy or anything, but he did play golf. And, um, literally this guy would come in like 10 or 12 times a year. So he was coming like monthly for a session of MAT, get nowhere. And, uh, 
you know, it's the old story. Uh, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And I wasn't the insane one. He was because he kept thinking I was going to help him. I'm like, dude, I, get, I, I haven't evolved since last month, so it's the same crap. You know? Yeah, so it was crazy. <laughs> and he was coming in and he'd be like, I would joke with him. I'm like, oh, you're here to pay your friendship dues because I'm not going to help you. I'm going to charge you. That's how this whole situation went. And then it was about in 2008, like literally almost almost five years later, I'm like, dude, seriously, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. We're just not doing any more MAT on you. I'm going to use that on my other clients, but not on you. And he's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Let's just do whatever I think I should do. I'm going to do the polar opposite because what I think we should do clearly is not a good fit for your body. So um, so one thing he would present with, this guy's name is Alan Kamenecki. Such a cool, awesome name. Right? So I love this part That's of an story. unbelievable name. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it's like a comic book story or something. So Alan Kamenecki. So he came in and he, uh, if you put him on his belly, he was like stuck. Like his head was on the ground. He couldn't with his arms off the ground. So he couldn't extend. And I'm trying to work on posterior chain, trying to get him to extend. But so had every other professional who got their hands on this guy. And uh, so what I did is I put him on his back and we just worked the anterior chain. So we did a bunch of isometrics in the cervical flexion, capitis flexion, jaw extension, uh, posterior pelvic tilt, just all the you know torso ex- uh, flexors. And the next day he calls me and he's like, dude, what'd you do to me? I'm like, okay, what, what's numb now? Cause like, what, you know, what's hurt? You know, something's like, chew me out or something. Cause no, I don't, whatever you did, all my pain's gone. Uh, I feel like I'm standing two or three inches taller and I just play golf. He goes, I haven't broken a hundred in like 20 some years, I just shot it. It was either an 88 or an 89. So he improved his best round of golf ever by 11 or 12 strokes. And I'm like, bullshit. Like I, I didn't believe him. I thought he was screwing with me. So seriously, that's, that's, so that's, that's the Genesis story was this like, what happened? And so what I did is like for the next six weeks after that session, I'm like, I'm going to keep doing MAT because you know, nobody's heads falling off and you know, two or three people are getting these great results. But I kept thinking about that session with Alan so then I devised some little um, little experiments. So I had this skill set as a neural response muscle tester. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't really know that much about human movement, even though I got a four-year degree from Penn State and I did this MAT thing and I'm supposed to know stuff. But like, honestly, you know, I had to be honest with myself. Like, what did I really know? You know, so I was like humble enough to say, I didn't know as much as I, my clients thought I did. And um, so I just literally started with the question I want answered was what happens when the foot hits the ground? So I started imposing and mimicking ground reaction forces at every joint in the body. So I'd bend the toe down and I would check the neural response test. And I go to the other side of the body and bend the same toe on that side down. And I literally went in three planes of movement up and down the whole kinetic chain. And lo and behold, this whole, this map, this neuromechanical map of locomotion appeared so that's literally so i kind of discovered the neuromechanics spot that um undergird human locomotion so from that uh you know there's all kinds of little details there but uh that's the five minute version of the story so alan was kind of messy and frustrated and took a shot in the dark got lucky and then i kind of reverse engineered human locomotion unintentionally this is how it happened actually so hearing hearing you talk about you know taking the toe both sides and all three planes of motion. Yeah. It reminded me of some of the YouTube videos out that you had where it's like, Hey, you could kind of exhaust yourself doing all these isolative movements, but mm. you can get your bang for buck by doing the, you know, the C spine, the, you know, laying on your back, the C's yeah. each way. And like, so how did yeah. you then be like, okay, let's, yeah. let's put it all together. Let's package it. Yeah. So like, so square one, 
the the long story is you know not the long story but the longest version of square one is looking at um right step versus left step we're looking at that moment the foot impacts to the ground left side versus right we find this neurological preference and then we kind of chase it down find out which specific joint action is load intolerant and what i noticed is like it's like like so many other people in the industry there's a lot of issues in the hips and lumbar spine so that's where i came up with six six was all right i had these coaches who were doing square one and that didn't work so well in a team setting because they didn't have time to spend one-on-one with their athletes so i literally kind of uh, put signal six together for a couple of my coaching friends that are like at the d2 d3 level so they're like scheduling the games they're driving the bus they're coaching the team they're the strength they're they're wearing like 20 hats as these lower lower unit lower level university strength coaches or or even they were the head coach in some cases so i put signal six together for them and all we did is we targeted the most common areas that i was finding uh issues with uh load intolerance with you know ground reaction forces so it was like neck t-spine lumbar spine and and uh hips so i just like hey let's just do this greatest hits deal and that's how we package signal six so it's not it's not everything but it's kind of like the most 80, 85 90 percent of the issues we find are probably between your neck and hips on most of our athletes so we find so at this point you have a lot of strength coaches listening that are like all right this sounds awesome and without this is you know for anybody listening you're interested we're going to put the website in the show notes go ahead and check it out so mm-hmm. this is you know obviously something that sean sells i've done the course myself i i, I recommend it if you want to check it out check it in the show notes so without giving away any of the yeah. stuff that you charge people for but like yeah. tease it a little bit more because oh, yeah. they're already interested yeah so like if if we're talking uh six six i mean it's it's a hundred yeah we'll go products. six six first then we'll dive yeah. into because i'm yeah. curious about square one myself sure so like six six i mean i i can talk very like open about it if they want to buy it great if not Honestly, you probably go to my Instagram. You might be able to piece it together if you go back far enough on our history. Because I kind of, <laughs> I kind of throw it all out there. And people, are, you're giving too much away. I'm like, eh. If someone wants to go through and pour through all that stuff, that's fine. Uh, but basically, it's it's really the six six is probably an hour and a half program. But I could probably teach it to you in person in like five minutes or ten minutes. It's just a series of isometrics, three planes of movement, two degrees of freedom. So it's looking or. Uh, two directions of so six degrees of freedom and it's just a bunch of isometrics of the pelvis and the hips and a t-spine and a cervical spine but it's really cool little it takes 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds to run through it so it's awesome with uh, whether you're doing one-on-ones or you're running like 50 guys in a weight room uh, you can lay them on the ground you can do a standing version and you run mm-hmm. them through it and it's just kind of hitting the, the areas where we find there's a lot of uh, say sensory integration gaps we'll say you know from the neck to the hips so it's super cool because you can do it on your own at home. You can do it in between sets of uh, uh, during your workout. Like literally myself, if I'm working out by myself, I'll do a set of chin-ups and then I'll run myself through signal six. Then I'll do bench press and then I'll do signal six. So I kind of string it in between sets. So it's super cool that way. And then uh, signal, uh, do we talk about square one? Should I get into like what, well, how that Before you get or? into that, I have a question for you. On, yeah. So I do something similar where I was putting – I was putting uh, signal six in the like a block within either the ground based explosive or like if we were doing mm-hmm. our lower body strength exercise and we would yep. be going through it that way as well. Yeah. My question was based off of the videos, like, uh, you know, you want to do it and then go through a squat, like go through one of those pain-free motions so that, or painful motions so you can mm. relearn it and it's not painful and you can re mm. 
re-neural uh, response. Yeah, rewire, yeah. Correct, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yep. you know, I, I felt like I had our – the first time I taught the, the guys it, it was like, all right, hey, we're going to go through this. And, then, like, do – I think I did five bodyweight squats. All right, we're going to go through it, do five more. And they all kind of, like, looked around like, how did that suddenly get easier, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's and awesome. so my question was, and I just arbitrarily was like, uh, we're going to do one less set. Say if we're doing five sets on trap bar, we did four sets of six, six. Awesome. Is that it? Or like how many, like, what do you need that's to do? That's awesome. Uh, what do you need? That's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, how you just enunciated that. I think that's a, that's an amazing way to do it. That would be, I think a very thorough way of integrating square or uh, six, six into your workouts. Cause what we're doing is what we found is, like my job doing square one and when I work with a client, an athlete, is I'm always trying to challenge your nervous system. That could be squat. Taking a quick break from the show, everybody. Promise this will take less than 15 seconds. Friendly reminder, go ahead, hit that subscribe button below. It helps us out and it helps you out by being notified whenever we have new content come out. So hit that subscribe button. And with this, let's get back to the show. But when we're working with somebody, we're using all these different inputs and I'm monitoring which inputs, whether it's a thought, a movement, uh, athletic skill, whatever it might be. We're monitoring which ones this person's nervous system is like perceiving as a threat and which ones they're perceiving as safe. So every time there's a threat, then, it, then we try to find out which one it is. But when you just start doing signal six, you can just like, there you go, just carpet bomb it. You run signal six as the reset. And then you just do these moves that challenge. You said you chose something like something that was a little bit painful. I love that idea because when there's pain, there's a very high likelihood that's also going to trigger the nervous system or, you know, the nervous system is perceived as a threat. So I, I think that's a great way how you enunciate it. Like you do a set, you throw in some signal six, you do a set, you do some signal six. I think what you said is a great way to do it. Appreciate that. Now, my other question that I have for you and maybe our listeners who have also used it, uh, I started doing it with, and this might've been outside of my scope, Maybe. But I started doing it with people who would be like, oh, like um, it was during the summertime and kids were going out doing routes on air on their own or seven on seven or individual. And yeah. a kid would be like, oh, you know, I hurt my hamstring, but I didn't really hurt it. So I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. let's go through. Like, realistically, yeah. I would test them. I'm like, there's really no muscle tension difference. And I, and I know it's subjective because it's hand tested, but I'd be like, hey, yep. I'm going to take you through this. And then they'd go through some of those motions like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really hurt anymore. And I, I'd try awesome. to explain to them like length tension issues. And yeah. am, am I completely outside of my scope and just I don't think so. I don't think so because you didn't diagnose anything. You didn't treat the injury. You're literally saying, hey, here's this. this The perturbation is this hamstring pain. And you just say, here's a little light isometric deal that has like, you know, tissue benefits and neurological benefits. And if you got lucky, you got lucky. I don't think that's outside your scope at all in my mind says okay. a guy who doesn't have a medical license yeah no exactly me neither and that's the thing where it's <laughs> right. just like right but at the same time the people that have a medical license can be over like i've heard doctors be like oh you've got some you know knee pain you have patel first of all it's always called tendinopathy or it's called tendon tendon wow patella tendonitis but realistically yeah. we know it's like some sort of tendinopathy just some tendon pain and then yeah. with the medical license they'll say oh don't do anything but we know that that isn't what they right. should be doing Correct. I mean, like all the research, especially in the last couple of years, it's like the worst thing to do is do nothing. Like, so even randomly moving around is better than like icing it and sitting around doing nothing. So, yeah. Because I, I had mean, some kids that had like pelvic pain too. And that had been one of the biggest things was 
teaching them within the bridge position with mm. the hips going either way, like yeah. truly trying to teach them to, to have their hips move independently. Yes. Um, would yes. you recommend for any of those athletes like, okay, Hey, you know, obviously six, six is something that you find important. Do you yes. recommend extra, like, would you be prescribing that exercise itself or what mm. else would you be doing? Interesting. So, uh, that's a great question. Uh, it's different. Um, how do I frame it? Like, I think a lot of things in our industry historically have been geared towards the hardware or the tissue and yes. you think of it as and motor learning. And to me, motor learning is like how we acquire skill. And the main way we do that is repetitive practice, right? So rehearsal, whatever you want to call it, rehearsal pattern. I think motor control is a totally different animal. So we have a lot of people in the industry like, oh, we're doing this neuro stuff, but then they're doing repetitions. I'm like, wait a minute. Like one guy's changing the light bulb. We're like at the fuse box. And once I get the right, you know, I find the right fuse that got, uh, you know, flipped off. Once we turn it back on, it's on. Like it's kind of set it and forget it. So when I'm running something through square one stuff, the whole idea is I don't have to redo it again. Cause if I gave the nervous system what it needs, we don't need to necessarily rehearse that specific thing. I look at it, it's almost preparing the soil so that just do your workout. And now what we're doing is you have more horsepower under the hood and everything you're doing is probably okay. So all we're doing is trying to bolster the software and then don't even think about it. Just just do your normal workouts and do your normal stuff. So whenever we have te- uh, students that come in, a lot of times we have strength coaches, personal trainers are probably our two big markets. I'm like, guys, what's really cool with this stuff, we don't really have to do correctives. We literally just have to give the nervous system the sensory input it needs to get kind of whole again. And then we just challenge it and challenge it and challenge it. And once we kind of get it where, all right, squat isn't busting them up and, and, and lunge and bench press isn't breaking the software, well, then just go train. Don't don't even worry about what we did in the session. Just go do your stuff. So we put these pieces in, and then when you go, go and move and do your workout, that's how it learns how to integrate it all together. So anything you want to do that doesn't hurt, go for it. So I don't, I don't think you have to do homework with square one related material. For anybody that is – let's call it the skeptic or the doubting Tom that is yep. hearing this. And they're like, okay, but, but how are you doing it? Like, how is it nervous? Like just kind of dive yeah. into that and address that yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, I always tell people it's so much easier for me to show you than to tell you. It's, it's really simple. Um, it's, it's so simple. It looks like it shouldn't do a single thing, right? It's, it's seriously, it's like, it's cause people are so used to like, I'm going to pop this. I'm going to rub the sore spot. Uh, we're going to make you sweat. And I'm not anti any of those things on the front end, but literally all we're doing is we're looking at your three sensory systems that contribute to your postural control system. So we're looking at vision, the vestibular system and proprioception. Okay. And square one originally started off as a proprioceptive reset. So we're looking at specific joint actions. So when we run someone through square one and we find out, okay, here's the culprit right now in real time, this is the joint action that right now this person's subconscious, this joint action is being perceived as load intolerant to ground reaction forces. So if, if the issue is like hip extension in the moment, all we have them do is contract, perform an isometric contraction into hip extension for about two or three seconds. We check our work and that's a little longer discussion how we do it. It's real simple. We just look at these two phases, right step versus left step. We make sure there's no neurological preference. You can turn your head right, check, head left, check. If they're good, they're good. And then we challenge them again. Oh, now we find it's left hip extend, uh, external rotation. The input is just perform an isometric contraction in the left hip external rotation. If we're going through a proprioceptive route, it's as simple as a two second isometric. 
if we're looking at restoring balance between right versus left, up versus down as it relates to the vestibular system, it really is head position and a nasal inhale. So it's literally, if we're gonna reset left step, it's left lean, sniff, right head turn, sniff, check our work, it's good to go. So it's super, the inputs are like, if you heard somebody doing this, I don't you're not doing this. I mean, it's, it's literally like, if you can nasal breathe, turn your head, raise your arm overhead, the, the inputs are hyper-specific. So it's not about the intensity. It's about what does the nervous system say, tell us that it needs right now. And it's just position of head, position of the eyes with nasal breathing, or a position of a joint where you lightly contract into it. So it's super gentle. How in the world did you figure that out? Like, did oh, you know? Like, uh, Seriously. Uh, yeah, Drake, um, it's crazier. That I'm, I'm always about minimal effective dose. Because you said earlier about, like, scope of practice. So I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm not... I'm not a massage person, you know, massage therapist. I'm not a PT. I'm not a doc. So my whole thing is like minimal effective dosage. So like there's some trigger, whether it's a trigger or the inputs, I'm always, I find something that works. I'm like, okay, how do I dial it down? Because if it's, if I'm trying to get people away from, you know, any kind of risky tissue situation. So like one time we found a trigger was just this longitudinal reload, the person longitudinally through the spine. And at first I had like, you know, they're laying their back. I have a rubber, you know, big rubber band. I'm yanking on them. And then like, okay, that worked. Like, okay, I'm, I don't want to hurt someone who comes in with a neck issue. So then I'm going lighter and lighter. Eventually I'm getting them up and I'm touching their head. Then I'm touching them with one finger. Then I had a bald dude who came in. A little hair was sticking up. I touched the hair and it triggered. I'm like, holy crap. So what's crazy with the nervous system is how hypersensitive it is to all kinds of different inputs, whether they're good inputs or bad inputs. And good or bad is really predicated by that person's current neurological status. So literally just um, just trial and error on thousands of sessions, literally finding out what works and looking for that minimal effective dosage is really how we found it. How often did you find that people would come in and the load intolerant tissue changed. Mm. Like you said, it was hip extension here. Like every, if I came in. Every time, every time, every person's ever been on my table. Every time. The first eight years, I documented everything I did. And what I was looking for was, that, well, say we would clear out, oh, they come in, we found right knee flexion and adduction, whatever their little, like their little combination to open up the safe was, you know, because everybody has their own little, you know, <laughs> you know that's, that's how I look at it, like, like a, a safe tracker. Yeah. yeah. So then we would do, it's like I laugh at my jokes. Don't even oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So then we do, uh, what I would find is I would, uh, I would, I would track it all. And the next session it would come in and I was looking for repeats. I was looking for a repeat of the sequence. We essentially have never found it repeat. So it's constantly having to read the person. So it's not like, oh, this person, they're a left hip extension person. This person, they're a right trap. It's, it, I don't look at it. It's just a person. And each of us has their own. It's almost like your fingerprint. We have our unique, super individual, super, you know, very customized to that person. And it's their history. So it's like that book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. It's like, it's totally true. There's this neuromechanical history on the body my job is to find, hey, who's the last guy in the pool? You know, the outer layer of the onion. Let's clear that, challenge him, go a little deeper, deeper, deeper. So we kind of do like a reverse chronology of their of their own individual history. So we don't see a lot of repetition where it's like, oh, wow, we're stuck on this hip rotation piece or this neck flexion piece. We kind of don't get stuck. We literally just challenge it, softly break the system, put the inputs back in, things get good. So it's like half step back, two steps forward, half step back, two steps forward. It's like, it's constant progress is what it is. 
that's super interesting and, and because for me just having the knowledge of a doing it myself b doing it with a group of athletes and then i guess technically c is part of a was you know going through the mm-hmm. course and watching the material that you put out there um Mm-hmm. The hip IR stuff that you've been able to do, like I think a ton oh. of strength coaches are interested in improving mm. their athletes' hip internal rotation. Like, oh my gosh, how is really? this able to actually do? Yeah, because hip IR is it's so crazy. important and it's so lacking in so many athletes. It's crazy. It's like because I always say too, like I, I, I use that hip IR as a, as a demo because, like you said, every so many athletes, every person who's ever been on my table, one side can turn in, the other side you know can't. And all we're doing is just giving the nervous system input to feel safe again. And as soon as the nervous system feels a little bit safe, it's like the saying, like, it'll grant you strength. It'll grant you mobility. And that's all we're doing. We're just giving a little bit of input specific to the individual. Internally, they feel a little more safe. Okay, now they're going to have a little more freedom of range of motion. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I had someone with hip IR that we didn't change that with one input. Like, that. Like, t- that's like money for me. Like, I, I go and do a demo somewhere. I'm like, lay down, I'm going to find your hip IR, then we'll map it out, find out where it's coming from. Is it your neck, your foot, your opposite hip, wherever it is, give them the input, and it changes every time. Like, literally every time so far. So I'm going to say 99.9. What's your go-to then? Like, what do you do for people when you put them on the table? And you're like, all right, cool. All right, here's Because, yeah. like you said, it changes all the time, but, like, yes. because you have your little um, – I guess the word is algorithm or you have your own yeah. little automation where you go, okay, if this, then this, and then where do you go from there? Yeah. So it's, to me, it's, it's not a protocol. So we're literally, I, I would say we're, we're interviewing the nervous system. So I know I'm going to go in, I'm going to find out is the preference right to left up to down. And once I find out what they're preferring, okay, what are their shot that, that tells me what they're shying away from. So then I'm like, Oh, I'll pull out the right step map in my mind. And then we literally have a process where we can go find, does it come from the hip, the neck, we can, we can nail it down really quick within like 10 seconds where it's coming from through a thing called circuit locate, which is also borrowed from applied kinesiology. And then literally if it's right step and it's your left hip, I already got it down to supination of the left hip. It's either extension, external rotation, or abduction as an example. So it really is, is if you can ask the body like two, three, four questions, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead you right to where they cannot uh, tolerate load every time. You said the word applied kinesiology, and that made mm. me write that down in my notebook. Mm. And yeah. ha- I have my notes from our con- my conversation with Jeff Moyer, and he was the one yeah. that brought you up again. Um, uh-huh. does, What's up, Jeff? <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you, you talked about the muscle activation and now applied kinesiology. So yeah. did those impact SIG 6 and square 1, or was square 1 like – do they have the Sig Six and um, Square One have the basis of those within it, or are they based mm. off of the opposite? Like, how how would that okay. work? So the history, the history of it that I understand is, I believe, it was applied kinesiology, and then there was another system called clinical kinesiology. Both are offshoots of chiropractic. So I think applied kinesiology was uh, uh, the guy's name's escaping me right now. He was a Cairo. I'm gonna say 50s and 60s back in around Detroit. Oh, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. Jeff literally just said this the other – yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have like three hours of sleep, so my, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, <laughs> it'll come to me like 20 minutes from now. But this guy, I think he spent some time in China. And I think what applied kinesiology, as I understand it, is it's kind of like Chinese medicine for the Western world. 
and again, this is 50, 60 years ago. So one of the applied kinesiology guy students was this other uh, fella, not Bueller. I can't think of his name right now. It doesn't matter. My, I sat three hours of sleep. My, my brain's not working very well. But kin clinical kinesiology came out maybe 70s. I might be butchering some of the dates. And so MAT at its core was actually just like one path within, I want to say, I believe clinical kinesiology. I didn't know that at the time when I learned that. So those, so my roots were in kinesiology without even knowing it when I learned MAT. So what I learned uh, from, we'll say kinesiology or MAT was the neural response muscle testing. And the second piece is this piece called circuit locate. Those are the only two pieces that I borrow from kinesiology. So when I started looking into what happens when the foot hits the ground, the only skill that I honestly had in the industry, uh, you know, cause in college, the only skill they taught us practical was how to use a skin fold caliper. So like that doesn't, you know, not super useful if you're trying to understand locomotion. Right. So like, I was just like, wow, what do I have? So I had this skill of neural response muscle testing. So that's a direct borrow from kinesiology. And then everything else about square one is original work. So people are like, what should I read before I come and learn square one? Like literally I came up with this, by stop, I stopped reading everything in the industry and I stopped watching videos and watching podcasts from 2008 to 2012. I took about a four year period where I basically isolated myself from the industry. And that's when Square One, it was born out of not the influence of other people, but literally just going after my clients' bodies and, and observing and, and running them through these different muscle tests, these different experiments that I was designing. And on the other end, that's we, you know, Square One came out the other end. Do you have knowledge on um, the Chinese medicine stuff? Like you mentioned it, like it's just super mm. interesting to me because it's mm. like it it seems like it has my uh, friend Mike Wadango. Shout out to Mike if he's listening to this mm. too. But he constantly is posting and talking about like you can poke somewhere on the channel and it will affect oh. the channel whether it's like. Oh. Yes. hitting the quad and it's affecting yes. your shoulder like <laughs> yes but it gets just remarkable right it is it is and i i jokingly say this i hope this doesn't come off as racist but uh we'll see <laughs> we're about and to I, find I, out we're about to find out you be the judge no but i always joke like when i'm working with somebody we get this good result and I'm like, how many Chinese guys were tortured 3,000 years ago with a hot poker in the eye to figure out that relationship, right? Because there's so many of these weird relationships between your teeth and certain muscles. And uh, so a lot of kinesiology and all that, I believe it came out of Chinese medicine because there's these charts you can buy. I got, I got a poster in my office, and it shows, like, these neurolymphatic points, these uh, uh, you know, these tooth muscle relationships, reflexology points. Yeah, it's reflexology. Kind of like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like a greatest sense of kinesiology. So I'll have it on the wall, and once in a while, I'll delve into it. Because with square one, what's really cool is it's, it's a framework. So it's a standalone piece, but it also integrates with anything. Because the whole idea is that everything you do is an input to the system, so we get to, to test it. So I don't go into a situation saying, oh, that's good. Here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. It's more like, hey, let's do this thing. Let's find out how this athlete's nervous system tolerates this. And if it does, fine, we move on. And if we find something that challenges them, takes them out of homeostasis, <laughs> excuse me, we'll sit on it and I'll use that as a trigger. So sometimes we go into the AK, CK, Chinese medicine, and I don't know where the where you separate those things. Uh, but we've messed with like, they have like these uh, Qi channels within uh, Chinese medicine. Yep. 
All right, so they have like, you know, the kidney channel and you have the heart line and all these different deals. I found if you stroke one direction on it, it triggers the nervous system and you go the other way, it's kind of a little bit of a reset. So I'll do is I'll actually, I'm always trying to like softly break people. I kind of go down, swipe it, run it through square one, do it again, triggers them. The third time, the fifth time, it doesn't set them off. And then what's crazy when you look at the kidney channel and you look at all the muscles that tie to it, it gets to the point where we can't make those muscles, uh, we can't, you know, turn them off for like a better term. So we can actually get like certain muscles to stay activated for weeks and even months on end we've messed with. Where we find like a psoas that's kind of cranky, we'll get it turned on. And then we just run through all the different Chinese medicine points and use that as a trigger. We just touch it. We're not poking with needles because, again, I'm not a licensed person to, to break skin. We'll literally just like kind of perturb it, stimulate it, whatever term you want to use. We get it where it doesn't react to that. And then we literally can't get the muscle to turn off, which which is good. We don't want it to be able to. I mean, it, it can choose to, you know, it, it, I should say it's a more of an optimal relationship. We can relax when it needs to. It, it can be you know activated when it needs to. Have you found any of your patients, clients, whatever word you want to use that mm -hmm. maybe have already showed you or told you like, hey, I have this bony limitation, mm. uh, whether it's shoulder or hip and, you know, they're going to have limited range of motion. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. once you've done this, that you see improved range of motion. So I guess that's my question yeah. is yeah. how how much can this be affected by any skeletal limitations or yeah. any surgeries let's go there yeah like uh right because like in the early years and this like you know 15 years ago that would be a common objection like well you're not gonna be able to change this because of scar tissue right unless we break down the scar tissue we're not gonna get this range of motion back and like two minutes later we're picking up like 40 degrees of rotation at these different places and like what the heck I'm like well they told you that said the people who work with scar tissue and they don't know the neuro piece that's all they know. So, so a lot of people say, well, you can't do this or you can't do that. And it's like, well, says the person who that's all you do. Like, yeah, doing what you're doing, that's not going to get any further. But we've had like crazy successes with um, even stuff like like frozen shoulder. Um, and, and, I, and sometimes it's like when you're asking that question, my thought was sometimes there's misdiagnosis. Like, oh, yeah, this is a structural issue. And they come in, we work on it. I'm like, well, I guess it wasn't a structural issue because – your, your arm's now raising over your head. Or we've had uh, work with college basketball teams. I had a coach one time say, well, you're not going to be able to help this guy with back. You can't help this guy with back pain because he has congenital back pain. And what I'm like, coach, yeah, I said, like, said, coach, I don't know if that's even a thing. Because yeah, all the doctors said, I'm like, well, well, doctors are wrong. They put their pants on like we do. And I'm not going, I'm not saying we should go against medical advice, but that's just a name, man. Like, I don't know. So we literally worked on him. And this guy could like, he was just, this is like 19 year old D1 athlete. He could like get to his like about his knees with pain. Like five minutes later, ten minutes later, his hands were flat on the floor with no back pain. I'm like, he's like, oh, I guess he doesn't have congenital back pain. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a bogusy thing probably. Yeah. What about disc issues? People that have disc issues. Yeah. Oh man, we have so many success stories with like herniations because we're not changing the tissue, but we're changing that neurological control over the tissue. So we had one of my favorite stories was. Um, it wasn't a disc issue, but it was a, this, it was a kid at Purdue, uh, Robbie Hummel. This is 15 years ago. He was like preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. Had a you know short stint in the NBA. Played a lot of overseas pro ball. He had an L5 vertebral fracture. So not mm. in his past, but currently when I, we were working with him. And the first time we worked on him, we, we kind of found like, well, okay, what's provoking pain? So we, I think we found 13 different movements that would provoke pain, extension and rotation both ways and side bend and all these combinations. First session, 
We got rid of pain and everything except for straight up extension. We did a second session on him. All his pain went away. He still has a fractured, uh, fractured vertebra. All his pain went away. All his function returned. He played out the rest of the season pain-free with a broken back. So it's like there's some stuff you think would be like, there's no way. I'm like, I'm not making a story up. Reach out to Robbie Hummel. Reach out to the coaches at Purdue. It's a story that was legit. You know, and this is what makes me think that it is legit because how many times have we read research or seen things where people are like, hey, the number of people that have torn this, spondies this, fract and they have no idea. Right. Why can't it just be the, like, why is it so hard to accept the fact that we could yeah. reverse, like, yeah, the opposite could be true. Right. And why, like, we're, there's no... There's no piss on a stick test that tells you that there's this is a load intolerant joint action. You know what I mean? It's like it's like what's the objective data for that? You know what I mean? Like so they, so they, if it's not a tangible thing, they act like it's like it's all mythology. I'm like, oh okay, can you put your freaking thoughts into a jar? You can't. It's a real thing. So just because something's not concrete, like abstract things aren't real. Like yes, abstract things are real as well. So I think people get hung up on. If you can't touch it, smell it, taste it, oh, that's that's just faith. I'm like, well, possibly, but there's also, you know, there's things you can uh, do to change these outcomes that are, uh, you know, conceptual in nature, and you can change these outcomes. But yeah, so now go. I know I know strength coaches are a little bit more familiar with, um, you know, don't shoot me for this, but for saying RPR, so yeah, they I might be thinking like, what's what's the difference? Yeah, you that's know, a good to one. people that are curious. Yeah, and and to me, there's. It's funny. I literally, you say, don't shoot me. I'm like, I'm literally not threatened by any of the thing in the industry because my thing, it's all an exploration. The 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 waters are deep. They're, none of us have all the answers. So a lot of our students are RPR guys, be activated people. It's it's great. Um, the big difference, in a nutshell, I, I look at uh, RPR and a lot of different systems, their modalities, and at a certain point, you you're gonna come to a dead end because. It's like if, if such if you see such and such, you do this thing. If you see this, you do that. Square one is more of, hey, here are the rules. I didn't make the rules. These are the rules. And now we get to play within the confines of right versus left, up versus down, gravity pulling you down. So it's literally more of a principle-based piece. So it's very much – I always say what square one is, I look at it as a uh, toolbox, and you put the RPRs and the MATs and the – manipulations and the stretches and whatever you want to do it'll hold all those tools beautifully so i look at it as a very much a compliment uh but with square one there is no end game like it's it, you could literally you can just keep testing things and keep going and you there is no end game you're not going to come to a dead end with it what about the notion that maybe this could be saved as your uh this as in signal six and square one mm -hmm. could be mm -hmm. your ace in you know, in your hand and save it for when an athlete is in year four or five with you rather than like at first you could just do mm. some of the stretches that you talked about. Uh, my thought is if you have a tool that can help people and you withhold it, like screw you, man. Like I'm like, that's, that'd be such a bogus thing to do to an athlete. So my thought is if you have this tool, that's so amazing. I wouldn't know why you would wait to use it on them. Would there be diminishing returns then? Because if you think about from a training age standpoint in the weight room, if I give athletes accommodating resistance, it could help them. But mm -hmm. if it's not exactly what they need at that time, then they're mm -hmm. robbed of the adaptation later in life. Is over the course of four to five years then, does signal six wear off, quote unquote, and no longer be effective? Well, I, I think signal six will have its limitations in that if you're working with an athlete 
and his present load and tolerant joint action isn't in his neck to his hips. Like say it's his knee, his ankle, his toes, his hands, his elbows, somewhere outside. You're going to come to a dead end with signal six because it's just not as granular. You don't get as much detail with it as you would with regular square one. But my thought is if you're having somebody you have for three years, four years, five years, I'd rather set the trajectory higher. So I think the first time I have somebody, you know, whether it's private practice, someone comes in with back pain, or I have a high-level athlete, I want to get square one. I want to get that on them right away, raise their game, and you're just you're just changing the trajectory instead of like waiting to get there. So I don't look at square one as a boost, even though it gets you a boost. I think it literally it just it just is a it gives the athlete better raw materials on day one. So like, why would you want to wait to do that? Yeah, so maybe I'm misunderstanding your question, though, too. No, no, no. I mean, because that's where it's like, like I said, I could do super maximal eccentrics with athletes, mm-hmm. you know, when they come in because, yeah, it's going to get yeah. them stronger. Yep. But from a nervous system standpoint, they're not going to understand how to actually move efficiently or lift a heavy enough of a load because yeah. they're not, you know, actually ready to, to handle that. Same thing could then be said about, you know, like I said, the accommodating resistance, like their body, they need to learn how to neurologically perform a squat properly or lunge or bench before I start loading them with ridiculous ranges of motion. And so that's where it's like, okay, there, if there is this system of square one, signal six, either one Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. does help you. But if there's other underlying things, like if you just have shit ankle mobility, what if I just attack with some soft tissue work prior? Okay, that stops working. Okay, now let me start Let me start layering on the things that can work to continue to see the success. So mm-hmm. like I see that side of it, but then I also yeah. see where you're like, okay, if I can take you from here to here and then make sure you never go below here on this trajectory. Like So I right. kind of can see both sides of it. Yeah. And I see what you're saying too if you have this mobility issue, but I've seen so many times where people think it's a mobility issue – you get the nervous system organized and that mobility issue goes away. Like people's squat performance changes instantly. That's a very frequent thing. So my whole deal is, I, I think at square one, it's core, we're reducing the body's need to compensate. And the sooner if we can get it to compensate less, the better. Like the, I don't see the value in probably 99.9% of people allowing them to compensate. So if we could do something about that, like that to me is, that's day one stuff in my mind, so. Yeah. And maybe- I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I've just been, like I said, thinking about it and just thinking back more about, you know, the best, like, especially like you said too, though, if you can just kind of, the sooner you can ingrain it in a team setting culture of like, this is just what yeah. we do. And this is part yeah. of what we do. Um, I think that's the best way to go about it because when you try to pick and choose when you use it, I don't yeah. think it works as well. Like me, yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, like I'm just kind of reflecting back on when I had been using it with the the football team here mm-hmm. at Towson, and it just – I think you were right. Like it could have been better used. Hey, this is what we do, and this is just kind of yeah. part of our warm-up actually. Like this is the first thing yeah. we do. Yeah, I think that's – for people I – mean, again, when we have students, like they're, they're learning a perspective that took me 15 years to get to. So yeah. my thought – that's why I say like the easiest way to integrate square one is like, hey, if you just – squeeze it into a little bit of your warm up and you just use it three or four little layers every session. Like that's phenomenal. If that's all they ever do with it, that, that, that's a pretty good way to use it. Uh, Cause again, there's limitations with, with any system square one has its limitations, but another limitation with signal six is you don't really, there's no assessment with it. It's just kind of, Hey, 
here's some exercises. It's a reset, but maybe it's not. You know what I mean? It might not be if you have did this on 10 guys, maybe it resets seven of the guys or eight of the guys. But two of those guys, they're an issue in their wrist, and that guy's an ankle. 6'6 six, six isn't necessarily going to touch the neurological piece at the ankle. It might change their ankle mobility, but it's not really addressing the neurological issue of that athlete in that moment in time. But again, for for 100 freaking bucks, if you run this on 100 athletes and 70 of them now jump higher, that's a pretty good value. That's a good yeah. ROI. Yeah, so it's not it's not perfect, and neither is square one, but square one's closer to perfect, we'll say. Um, you know, I'm going to let us wrap up here to respect your yeah, time. Yeah. What would be the one thing that you would leave our members and mm-hmm. listeners with of like the kind of big overarching principle of your philosophy of training and yeah. six, six square one. Yeah. I think it's that, that, that binary response of the nervous system. There's, there's just only two responses. The nervous system has to any input. It's either safe or threat. So whatever you can do to get the nervous system to perceive that whatever the athlete is trying to do as safe you're doing a massive service for them as an athlete as far as performance and for resiliency, you know, injury prevention, that sort of thing. So really it's like learning how to differentiate between safe and threatening response of the nervous system. And that's, you know, I'm not trying to sell square one, but that's what it's built around. I just think that's so, so huge. It's almost like giving the brain access of safety to all kinds of different patterns is massively important. No, nah, man, I, like I said, I've I've been I've just been doing a ton of pondering and thinking as you're saying it all because you got my wheels turning. So yeah. I really appreciate this. It's it's kind of making me. It's giving me the itch back of like, all right, once I get you know out to it's Iowa that, and I start working with people again, like, yeah, you know, you it were, it, yeah. it serves as a reset too for me. Where it's like, okay, uh-huh. here's my opportunity to reflect on the last five and a half years and like, okay, how can you better do things better? And you got my wheels turning here, man. Yeah, like I said, if you weren't moving away so soon, I would say I would. I was going to drive down because you're outside of Baltimore, so you're two yeah. hours south of me right now. So, but when you're in Iowa, you know, it depends where you guys land. Chicago, I'm there every week. We might maybe try to connect, man. I'd love to just show you some stuff live and see if we can help you raise your game in this area as well. Amen, brother. Well, I appreciate your time. You, uh, you have a good. Hey, everybody out there, it's his birthday on uh, on <laughs> Sunday, so happy fifty. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, man, link, thanks, we'll link the show, um, your stuff in the show notes, but is there anywhere in specific you want people to be uh, following you or, or going to your yeah. site? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show, man. It's awesome. Great meeting you for the first time here. Yeah, the best place to follow us right now is on Instagram, and it's uh, Square Numerical One System Singular. So Square One System on Instagram is the best place to keep abreast of what we're up to. Sounds good, brother. You have a good rest of the day. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.